In a conversation that's familiar with, uh, to most of us, Jesus was speaking with a Samaritan woman at a well. And he said, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now, when we hear the phrase true worshipers, we immediately think of our relationship with God, which is totally appropriate. We should be thinking of our relationship with God when we hear the phrase true worshipers. True worshipers are those who worship the Father in spirit and truth. But this morning, I want to explore what being a true worshiper has to do with the people around us. And so I'm calling the message True Worshippers Edify, which isn't really the most catchy title in the world, but it does sum up what I'm going to be speaking about this morning. I often listen to newly released worship songs to see if there's anything that our church might use and find helpful. And not too long ago, I was listening to an album by a group called Planet Shakers uh, from Australia, and a song came on called Stepping In. (coughs) Stepping In. The title intrigued me. Um, Now, this song isn't necessarily characteristic of Planet Shakers, but it does serve to introduce this topic that we're going to be talking about this morning. Here are the words uh, to a portion of the song. I'm stepping in to the secret place. I'm moving in into your embrace. It's just me and you. I'm pressing in. I can hear your call. I'm leaning in because I know there's more. I will wait on you. Now, the song expresses a legitimate desire to, to know God better, to know his love more, to be more aware of his presence in our lives. But you will never hear me, and I trust Devin or anybody in this church, leading that song. And here's why. Because of that one line, it's just me and you. It's just, and then the, the song ends with that, it's just me and you, it's just me and you. And that's what we can be tempted to think that worship is. Just me and you. But that's not what God's Word says it is. If, if that's what it is, then we should all just stay home. Because we can, we can put on our whatever device we use, you know, cassette player, um, <laughs> whatever device you use, because <laughs> I know some people in this room use a cassette player. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's right. What's a cassette player? We can put on our worship song at home and just have a great time by ourselves and just be me and you. But we don't do that. God tells us to gather together as the church. So, so why is that? Well, a man named Brian Chapel, pastor, professor, and just a great guy, uh, wrote a book called Christ-Centered Worship. And he, he helps us understand why it's not biblical to think about true worship as just between us, me, and, and Jesus. He says this, Making God the exclusive goal of worship sounds very reverent, but actually fails to respect Scripture's own gospel priorities. Certainly, it is true that God is the most important audience member for our worship. But if God were not concerned for the good of his people, 
his glory would be diminished. He expects us not only to praise his name, Psalm 30 verse 4, but also to teach, admonish, and encourage one another in worship. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14 to explore the other side of the coin we call worship, which is edification. So on one side we have what, every, what most of us perceive as worship, the me and you side of our relationship with God. And the other side is edification, the me and those around me. Now, edification, you might know what that word means. You probably know, but just in case you don't, it's a noun that, it's, it's, a, it's a noun that we often translate as building. And it involves instruction. It involves in uh, something being strengthened. So if you have uh, uh, a bunch of bricks lying on the ground and you want to edify those bricks, you'll build them together. You'll put mortar between them. They'll become stronger as a, as a, as a unit. God isn't ambivalent towards our being edified, towards our being built up and being built together. He cares about it when we meet. And in fact, in the passage we'll be looking at this morning, we're going to see that when we focus on building others up to magnify Christ, we bring glory to God. When we focus on building others up to magnify Christ, we bring glory to God. Or you could say, we worship God. And I think for a lot of us, that doesn't fit into the category of worship. When we, we all have preconceived ideas of what worship is. You know, it's this. It's just me and you. I wish that guy behind me would stop singing so loudly. That person's off tune right there. I wish... God, you could just hermetically seal me in a compartment and it would just be me and you. And God says, that's, that's not what this is. That's not what this is about. So, little background. 1 Corinthians 14 is a lo- part of a longer presentation that Paul's making that goes back to chapter 12. In chapter 12, he focuses on how the members of, of the body of Christ function as a body. It's one body with many members. So he's making the case for that in chapter 12. In chapter 13, he highlights how the church is essentially supposed to display the character of Christ. This isn't just a fact that we're one, one body with many members. There's supposed to be an attitude that we have towards those members. And it's love. It's 1 Corinthians 13. In chapter 14, which we're going to be focusing on this morning, Paul shows us how the church is to be strengthened or built up through the gifts of Christ. So we are the body of Christ, we display the character of Christ, and we are built up through the gifts of Christ. Now he's speaking to a church that's made up of people who have misunderstood what those spiritual gifts are, what the gifts of Christ are. Some some of the Corinthians were enamored with certain gifts, especially tongues and prophecy and healing and miracles. They looked down on those with lesser gifts. You know, we can, we, can, we can see that today, we, where, where we just think because the thing I'm using, it's, it's God's really using that, and we don't even notice what God's doing with other people. So Paul's addressing that. And the Corinthians, he's especially addressing the fact that the Corinthians thought that those who spoke in tongues, in other languages that nobody understood, were the most spiritual people. And he's saying, I want to clear that up because that is not 
the way God views it. Now it is a gift. It's a spiritual gift. But it doesn't make you any better than the rest of the people in your church. And in fact, you need the other people in your church. So Paul wants them to understand what being spiritual means. Really what being a worshiper means. And how when we focus on building others up to magnify Christ, that's when we're really bringing glory to God. So we're going to read just the first 12 verses. And as I read it, keep, take note of how often Paul references building up or being built up. Just in these first 12 verses. This is the Word of God. It's the most important thing you'll hear me say this morning. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. I'm sorry, that's chapter 12. <laughs> chapter 14. What translation is he using? This is the English Standard Version. Still learning my numbers. 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church. As we can already see, the primary examples that Paul uses to address this issue of building each other up are prophecy and tongues, those spiritual gifts. Now, what I want to focus on is not prophecy and tongues this morning, but the attitude that drives Paul's discussion, which is edification. Now, we typically think of edification as the responsibility of those who lead the meeting. So when someone asks you, how is the meeting? How many times do we answer with, well, I didn't contribute very much? I mean, do we ever say that? No, it's, well, you know, the band was pretty good this morning. Devin did an okay job. Pastoral prayer was a little long this morning. 
or the preaching on it. Yeah, yeah, we, we make a comment about something that somebody up front did. And I pray that one of the effects of this meeting is that you not see the effects of this meeting solely the responsibility of people who are here. It's the responsibility of the people who are here. That's you guys, in case you didn't catch my drift. <laughs> when we gather, God expects each one of us to be involved in edifying or building up the church for His glory. So verse 1, Paul says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. He's talking to everyone in the church. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Don't, don't put this off. Don't assume this is someone else's responsibility. Eat you, you, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Verse 3 says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding. Did you see how many times that was referenced? Verse 4, the one who prophesies builds up the church. Verse 5, so that the church may be built up. Verse 12, strive to excel in building up the church. And then later on in verse 26, he says, let all things be done for building up. Let all things be done for building up. So we should expect that God will use each one of us to encourage and build up and strengthen the church when we gather. And we should expect God to use others to build us up when we gather, which is one of the reasons we gather as the church, because we need the encouragement and spiritual gifts of other people. It's why sitting at home listening to a message and listening to a CD is not the same as gathering with the saints. We need the spiritual gifts of those around us. Now, I want to say Larry didn't ask me to give this message uh, as a corrective, saying, yeah, we're really bad at this. Would you please speak on edification? Uh, in fact, if anything, I would say it would be to commend you all for what you are doing, those of you who have been part of the church. But we can always grow. We can always grow in our understanding. We can always grow in our application. So this morning, we're going to look at four priorities that Paul gives us in these chapters, focusing on chapter 14, that will characterize our thoughts and words and actions if our focus is going to be building others up to magnify Christ for the glory of God. This is the first priority. It's right in verse 1, the priority of love. Pursue love. Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now in our culture, if you just stopped at pursue love, a lot of people would think, yeah, I need to pursue love. More people need to love me. <laughs> and I've been missing out. I'm so wonderful and more people need to see it. That's how our culture would interpret that. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul, in fact, Paul makes it very clear what he's talking about because he just took a whole chapter to, to explain what love is. Loveless speech, if you speak without love, it's like a clanging cymbal. If you prophesy without love, if you have understanding that's without love, if you have knowledge without love, it's nothing. If you have incredible faith to move mountains, but it's not because of love, 
it, it doesn't glorify God. And again, Paul says it's, it's nothing. Sacrificial giving apart from love, Paul, Paul says it's, it's zero. It's, 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 it's nothing. You can even lay your life down for someone. And if it's not because of love, it's of no value. So then he goes on to say well, exactly what that love looks like. In verse 4, chapter 13, love is patient and kind. Now remember, the verb is pursue. Pursue this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I don't know that word irritable. That's so many times. I'm just irritable. Love is not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That kind of love is meant to be the foundation and the motivation for every spiritual gift that we use. And all attempts to build other people up that aren't rooted in love will eventually be of no significance and bring no glory to God. So let's start by realizing that if we aren't pursuing love, it's possible that we aren't even going to use our spiritual gifts. That's why Paul starts, starts there. We have to pursue love. It's an active word. If we're only thinking about ourselves as we come, as we meet together, our preferences and our desires, we will find it very difficult to magnify Christ through our lives. Now, love is not only about emotions and feelings. It's about living and relating to other people in a way that reflects their value in God's eyes and their value in our eyes. And we lack love, we're not pursuing love, when we don't take the initiative to discover and respond to the needs of those around us. So just take a typical Sunday morning, we're, we're experiencing it right now. Before every meeting starts, there, we have about 30 minutes of time that God gives us. What do you do with that 30 minutes? Or, yeah, we, possibility, potentially. What could you do with that 30 minutes? Now, many of you are involved in doing exactly what I'm speaking of. Building up the church with your spiritual gifts. Some people are administrating, some people are serving, some people are greeting, all kinds of things. But then there are some of us, maybe you're kind of new, maybe you've been around, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm so glad so many people are serving. It's just great. I love this church. <laughs> what, what, what if you don't have any responsibilities? Are you pursuing love? God would say, pursue love. There, there's something to do that's better than checking your Facebook feed. Not that checking your Facebook feed is evil or sinful inherently. But when we're surrounded by God's people, and God has given us the command to pursue love, it can be evil. It can be sinful. Because we're missing the opportunity to build others up in a way that magnifies Christ and glorifies God. Uh, we have this little break. Again, what do we, how do we think about that? Is that an opportunity to pursue love. 
at the end of the meeting, do we like rush out? I got to get to the game. I got to get to lunch. I got to get to my nap. Whatever it is we got to get to. Not that there aren't legitimate reasons for those of you who are thinking of them right now. But how often do we think, ah, the end of the meeting, I want to go meet that person that I'm not sure how they're doing, or I want to go find that new person, I want to go... How often are our minds thinking like that? That's pursuing love. That's the first thing Paul says when, we're, when he's talking about building up the church. It's pursue love, the priority of love. But we can also use spiritual gifts without love. If we're not pursuing love, we won't even use our spiritual gifts. We won't even know what they are. But we can use spiritual gifts without love. And one of the ways we do that is when we minister to others as a way of magnifying ourselves rather than Christ. And sometimes it can be hard to tell exactly what our motivations are. A lot of times they're mixed, which will be the case until Jesus comes back and we will be like him. Praise God. Um, But I remember one time working very hard in a church to get a uh, newsletter off the ground. This was pre-internet days. This was a while ago. Uh, but I was working on this church newsletter, monthly church newsletter. Come out, sent everybody. And, and so I worked on it for about three or four months, put a lot of hours into it, and finally you know, turned it over to someone. And when I turned it over to someone, uh, the pastor of the church uh, chose that time to highlight the newsletter. And he highlighted what a great tool this was and how you should read it and we'll be getting it and the people working on it and just how it was going to serve us. And he didn't mention me at all. <laughs> and I, I don't think that was intentional. I'll never know, but uh, it didn't matter. I was so ticked inside. I just felt, you know how when you feel that feeling <laughs> rising up and you just feel your cheeks are getting red and... I just could not believe that I had spent all this time serving the church for God's glory. And he didn't even mention my name. Just not like a, you know, just a, hey, Bob, thanks for getting things started. But that would have been okay. But it wasn't even that. It was just this. And that revealed to me, eventually I saw it. I don't think I saw it then. That I was seeking to magnify me more than I was seeking to magnify Christ through my serving. I lacked love. I wasn't pursuing love in the way I served. We can also lack love in the way we're serving when we're insensitive to how our serving might affect other people or how the use of our spiritual gifts might affect people. And and it doesn't even have to be a spiritual gift. You know, when when you're in front leading or speaking, uh, a lot of times people have yes faces and no faces. There are a lot of yes faces here this morning. I'm grateful for that. But sometimes we're unaware, you know, when I'm leading uh, 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 music sometimes. Uh, <laughs> people out there just like... <laughs> and I'll be thinking, what, am I doing something wrong? Is it like, are, are they on death's door? Is it just... No, they're, they're just... And then like, they might come after me afterwards and say, that was so moving this morning. I was so helped. And, but it's just, I said, well, let your face know about it. I mean, just give me some indication that there's something going on inside. We can serve people. We're not, we're not always aware of how what we do affects others. I'll never forget the time I was in a, in a meeting and we were standing next together. So I was standing next to Julie and uh, I'm singing my heart out. And it's a smaller church. And she leans over to me, leans over to me and says, not sing so loud. I said, what? I'm sure people are being blessed by this. They're drowning.
counting everybody else out. So I was unaware of how I was affecting others. And uh, you should sing loudly. Don't, don't receive that as an encouragement. Great, I don't have to sing very loud. No, sing loudly. But I was just kind of dominating and it wasn't good. So Julie, help me there. Love will be a priority if we're focusing on building others up in a way that magnifies Christ. That's the first priority. It's love. It's a gift from God because he is love. Second priority is the priority of intelligibility. So Paul talks about this in the second half of the passage we read this morning, verses 6 through 12. People need to understand what we're doing (laughs) if we're using our spiritual gifts in a way that magnifies Christ for the glory of God. So he says in verse 6, Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And then he uses this illustration. It's a a startlingly simple illustration. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So, So can I demonstrate that just momentarily? Is this on? Hmm. Oh, there's a Thank you very much. The volume knob's up. There we go. So if I'm leading, and this is what this would be like. So we're going to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Okay, let's sing it together. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. It would be hard to join in, would it not? That's what Paul is saying. If, if what we're doing can't be understood, no one's going to want to join in. And unfortunately, that's what our meetings can feel like to new people. We are so familiar with how we do things. Some of us have been doing things the same way for decades. Some of us maybe not so long. But it feels comfortable. And we're not thinking, ah, I wonder how this sounds, feels, looks like to someone who's not doesn't come from the same background as I do. It's why we take time, generally speaking, to explain why we pray, why we give. This morning, Larry was explaining what, what this is about, why, why someone's sharing a testimony, particularly a lyric to a song. We want people to understand because that builds people up. And the priority of intelligibility Paul is addressing includes spontaneous contributions. He's imagining a situation where people from the congregation are coming up and sharing. He's encouraging prophetic words. Now, do you guys have a microphone? Is this it right here? Okay, so um, it didn't happen this morning, but back in our church in Louisville, and I know this does happen here, people come up and share a, a prophetic word. So I want to say a few words about that because it, it so ties into what Paul's saying here. This microphone is intended to encourage exactly what we're talking about, edification, and especially for the gift of prophecy, although someone could come up and read a scripture, they could come up and pray, but prophecy is simply an impression from the Spirit communicated by an individual to others for their good and for the glory of Christ. That's what it is. It's it's more than an encouraging word or something that happened to impress me in my devotions yesterday. Yeah, I was reading this thing in Habakkuk, and I thought it was really cool. Here it is. 
That's not a prophecy. A prophecy is more a sense of that there's a, there's a nowness to it. It's, it's for right now. It's for this group of people. Now, it, it's, it's not the same as Scripture. It's not authoritative. It doesn't hold sway over our lives. It doesn't replace wise and godly counsel. It doesn't replace prayer. It doesn't replace pastoral in, input. But it is a gift from the Lord that Paul says, God says, we're to earnestly desire. Why is that? Well, it's a gift that God gives for our upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. That's what we read in verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Don't we want that in our church? Don't we want people to be built up? Don't we want people to be encouraged? Don't we want people to be consoled? No, we don't, we don't do that here. Of course we do. Of course we want that. So the question is, if we're going to pursue love, and if we're going to pursue intelligibility, do we ever ask God to do that through us? Do you just assume, well, I could never, that could never happen to me. Well, I just want to encourage you you're part of a small group that could start there, don't start here, um, just ask God before you get to your meeting, God, is there anything that, any, anything that you'd want to, any way you'd want to encourage the people in my small group tonight or, or this week that you'd want to use me? You just pray, you just start praying for them. You're desiring to serve them out of love. And who knows what might happen? You might get a scripture, so the Lord might say, well, this scripture, or this person's going through this, and I want to tell them that I am with them. And then you might be thinking, that's it, Lord? You're with them? Like, that's so obvious. That's, so you try and dress it up. You think you, you got it. Well, you know, the Lord saith to you, I am withest thou. And I will be with this thou until the ends of eternity when I come to reach. And you start putting theology in it. It's wrong. And you, you just get all messed up. Just don't do that. Just, just say, I think the Lord wants to encourage so-and-so. And I, I was praying for you. And it just got this, this phrase, I will be with you. And you just watch the Lord work. Prophecy is like being a mailman. It's you have something in your hands. You believe you've received from the Lord, and, and there's, a, there's a humility to it. You're not saying, this is from the Lord. You say, I think this is from the Lord. And you're giving it to someone. And you're saying, I think this is from the Lord for you. The mailman delivers the mail. He doesn't know what he's delivering. You know, it could be a check for $10,000, could be a bill for $10,000. He, he doesn't know. He just kind of, you know, just, just passing it out. We're just called to be faithful. So what, what God is encouraging us through Paul to do is to be faithful, is to pursue love, to pursue intelligibility, to pursue a way of serving others for their upbuilding. And you might be surprised to find out how God uses you. And as you develop more confidence in your small group, you might come up on a Sunday morning one time and talk to one whoever's Usually we have someone screening the mic for, for timing and suitability and content. But they might say, yes, that'd be great. That would really encourage the church. But I believe the church, that, that God wants this church to grow in that. Because he wants every church to grow in that. 
He, he, he wants to see us using our spiritual gifts to encourage the church. And you know what the effect is? 1 Corinthians 14, 25, an unbeliever comes into the meeting of the Corinthians. The secrets of his heart are laid bare by the prophecies that are being shared. And in verse 25, it says, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. And you might be thinking, oh no, I just feel like the Lord's saying that he's with us. That's just like so lame. The Lord wouldn't say that. Well, at the right time and to the right person, it might, it might change someone's life. So our, our responsibility is just to be faithful and to be clear. <laughs> That's the priority of intelligibility. Third priority, the priority of variety. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, which we didn't read, but Paul says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So you see a variety of things happening there, a variety of gifts. One of the interesting things for those who lived through the charismatic movement of the 70s was to see how in a, in a flurry of, of conversions and, and churches being revitalized and a lot of exciting things happened, the church in many ways became exactly what, the, what, what Paul was correcting in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. The, the church became enamored with healings and tongues and prophecies. And Paul said, don't do that. Because there are many ways the Spirit's working. And God wants us to be aware of them. He wants us to be grateful for them. So in this verse right here, he's, he's saying, hey, th- you can come with a lot of things. There's not just one thing that you bring. Now, this isn't a complete list. So if, if you look through the list of spiritual gifts that, that, Paul, that, that the Scripture gives in different places, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, there are different lists. So, so they're just representative lists. These are things that can happen when you gather. Now this is fleshed out much f- more fully in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul uses the analogy of the parts of the body to get his point across. Everyone, he says, can't be a hand. Everyone can't be a foot. Everyone can't be an eye. Each part is unique and every part is needed. It's one of the glorious things about the body of Christ. It's one of the glorious things about every church. We're not, we're not looking for conformity. God's not looking for conformity. You have to go to the same stores. You have to buy your clothes from the same places. You have to eat the same kind of things. Everybody has to be into essential oils. Everyone has to be into homeschooling. Everyone has to be into whatever. We're not looking for conformity, but we are looking for common values that magnify Christ because that's what strengthens the body. It's a variety of ways that God uses us. Someone might bring a song. Someone might bring a prayer. Someone might bring a word of encouragement or a scripture or a testimony. Someone might bring a gift of faith. You can exercise the gift of faith here without a public platform. You can just walk up to someone and say, How are you doing? Well, I'm just, I'm, I just lost my job. I just, you know what? Can I pray for you? And as you're praying, just you're, you're, a gift of faith comes through and you're done. And they look up and they just say, Thank you so much. 
I was so struggling before you prayed for me. I am, that is so helpful. How many times do we have a conversation with someone and they tell us a problem they're having, some struggle they're going, and our response is, I mean, you know, we're trying. Oh, 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 I'm so sorry. And then we walk away. Or even worse, we say, I'll pray for you. And then two weeks later, they see us and they say, you know that situation I told you about? You said you could pray for me. Thank you so much. And the first thing we're thinking is, I haven't thought of you since last time we talked. <laughs> Which is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves and say, you know what? I didn't pray for you at all, but I'm so glad God doesn't rely on us to get his work done. Really, it builds community. You can laugh about it. It, it, it glorifies Christ. But, but I want to encourage us, I think the Lord is encouraging us, to at that moment, if you have the gift of faith, exercise it. The gift of administration, we benefit it from it every time we gather. Someone with a name, usually a group of people with names, have made this meeting function just flow, just seamlessly. Just everything, boy, this sounds just seems to get set up. It's amazing. So I come in every Sunday, set up. Like, this is so great. I love this church. You know, people are using their gifts. And God wants you to use the gifts He's given you. Because there's a variety of them. There are a lot of different, different kinds. Do you have any idea how many kinds of spiritual gifts are operating every time we gather? Even in a church this size, there are literally dozens of spiritual gifts operating every time we gather. Listen to what David Pryor says in his commentary, The Message of 1 Corinthians. The worship of a local church has an indispensable role in building up the faith and the discipleship of its members. When it is vital, participatory, expectant, and attractive, the whole congregation grows strong and steady in the Lord, which is exactly what we pray for. Of course, serving takes place outside Sunday mornings as well. Encouragement, Prayer, hospitality, rides, visits, moving help, scriptures. If you don't know how to serve, if you're thinking, oh, I just don't know what my spiritual gifts are, talk to your small group leader, talk to one of the pastors here. I'm sure they will be able to help you. Sure, they will be able to help you find out what your gifts are. Fourth priority, the last priority we're going to look at is the priority of the gospel. Now, we don't see the priority of the gospel directly in this chapter because Paul's building on what he said earlier in chapter 12. So let's turn there, 1 Corinthians 12. I want to read the first three verses. This is where Paul sets up this whole conversation. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. At different points in his letter, Paul's seeking to answer questions that the Corinthians had raised about relationships, food offered to idols, and now he's addressing what it means to be spiritual. They wanted to know what qualified someone to be spiritual, be called spiritual. Now, it's clear from what Paul wrote that they thought the spiritual ones were the people who spoke in tongues. 
Uh, Maybe others disagreed and were saying that the spiritually mature Christians were the ones who didn't do that. But he doesn't take either side. He redirects their thinking. He redirects their focus. And he offers a new paradigm. He says that the truly spiritual ones are not those who have ecstatic experiences, but those who can declare with their faith and their lives that Jesus is the Lord. Not those who just say it and don't mean it, but those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Everyone who can truly say that they're living by the Spirit's power. Those are the ones who are the spiritual ones. The ones who can say, Jesus is Lord. This is how D.A. Carson expresses that. To be able to confess that the Jesus of the incarnation, cross, and resurrection is truly the Lord especially in the face of a society that has lords aplenty, already attests the powerful, transforming work of the Holy Spirit. So to know Christ as Savior and Lord is the greatest miracle. It's intimately connected to the work of God's Spirit. The Spirit works in us and through us so that people might know, love, and worship Jesus Christ. And Jesus made it clear to his disciples that would be the role of the Spirit. The Spirit would come to magnify Christ. So he says in John 15, 26, when the Helper comes, he will bear witness about me. That's what Jesus said. Later on in John 16, 14, he says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So if the Spirit's aim is to bear witness to Christ and to glorify Christ, then as we're seeking to build each other up by the Spirit's power, that's going to be our goal. To bear witness to Christ and to magnify Christ. We will want to help others see what Jesus has done and why it matters. Because I was thinking this morning as, as we were singing, you know, it doesn't matter if your church is 120, 1,200, 12,000. If you're a biblical church, we're all saying the same thing. And we all have the same tools. We all have the same power. It's the power of the Spirit of God who has transformed lives into lives that magnify Jesus Christ. That's what our goal is. That's what we're here to do. Not only in this room, but in our lives, in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces, at our schools. That's what we're called to do. Our meetings aren't like moralistic pep talks where you come, you just get fired. Come on, do better, do better, do better, do better. And you leave going, I just got to do better. I'm just not doing enough. I got to... And maybe I can do better. Maybe if I reach down really, really, really deep inside and pull it out, I can do better. That's not what these meetings are about. We shouldn't feel like that. I've talked to people who who are have been part of churches where every Sunday they just walk away feeling like I'm just not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. We want to walk away thinking Jesus has done enough. It's amazing what He's done, and that's why we can do anything for His glory. All of the commands of the Christian life flow out of an awareness and experience of the gospel. 
The fact that Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, came and lived a perfect life in our place, perfectly obeying His Father every second of His life, who then took our sins upon Himself, endured God's wrath against us in our place on the cross, drinking the last drop of the wrath of God against us, Bearing it all for those who trust in Him. Rising from the dead. Ascending to His Father's right hand where He now intercedes for us. That gospel never gets old. And it's why we want to build others up. So that they can see that. And so that we can be built into that. Which is why in the New Testament a lot of the letters. First 3, 4, 10, 11 chapters are all spent with telling, Paul telling the people, this is what Jesus did, this is what Jesus did, and then at the end, now this is what you do. And for a lot of us, our Christian lives can be, this is what I do, this is what I do, this is what I do. Oh yeah, Jesus did something too, thank you. This is what I do, this is what I do, this is what I do. That's not the Christian life. It's, it's freedom to, to love God, to obey Him because of what Jesus has done. So, we seek to love others because God has loved us and sent His Son to rescue us from our sure damnation. 1 John 3.16 We welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Romans 15.7 We comfort others with the comfort we've received from knowing that our sins are forgiven. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 and 17 We encourage others to trust God because we know a God who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all. How will not He also graciously give us all things? How can we not trust a God like that? We pray confidently to God because we know that Jesus Himself intercedes for us as our high priest. In every way possible, we're seeking to magnify the grace we've been shown in the gospel of Christ, bringing God glory in the process. Our growth comes from being rooted and grounded in Christ because that's all we have and that's all we need. If you ever come to the to the Sunday meeting and think, oh, I wish we had that, I wish we had that, every church can grow for sure. But God wants us to spend a lot more time realizing what we have. And what we have is the power of God's Spirit working through Jesus Christ in our lives. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that means you. That means as we gather, God wants to do something not only in you, but through you. And what a glorious experience that is. What a glorious opportunity that is to realize each one of us, whatever whatever hindrances you might be thinking of, each Sunday, well, I'm I'm not very old. I've been a Christian very long. Well, I'm kind of new here. Well, I've been doing this for a long time. Just let the gospel blow those apart. Let what God wants to do in us through His Word, through His Spirit, through the gospel, change your perspective and realize, wow, what an opportunity I have. Every time I gather with God's people, God might use me to bring glory to Jesus and strengthen the church in the process. It's not only about strengthening individuals, it's about strengthening us together. It's about building the bricks together with mortar so that we begin more and more to look like Christ. Every church looks like Christ to some degree, but we're always getting more like Him. God's always doing work. He's saying, no, I want you looking more like me. I want you looking more like my son because he's the one I delight in. And I delight in you. And I delight in you 
even more as you look like him. So that's what, that's what we're seeking to do. So we make it our aim to uh, coin this word, gospelize each other. Remind each other of the gospel through the gifts God has given us. To build each other up. To help them see the attractiveness and implications and necessity and uniqueness of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Paul says it like this, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Both individually and corporately, God wants to use our meetings to build us into Christ, and to prepare us for that day when the fullness of time has been reached and all things are united in Jesus Christ. We look forward to that day. We long for that day. We live for that day. So let's not miss out on the lavish riches of grace that we can both extend to others and receive when we gather. As we come to this meeting, focused on building those around us up to magnify Jesus Christ for the glory of God. What a privilege. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the opportunity to to gather every Sunday without opposition, without fear for safety. We, we thank you for your word which speaks to us in our need. And although this is a church that excels in building each other up, Father, I pray that this word would, would you would use it, that it would be your word to encourage us even more in that way so that Jesus might be glorified in our midst so that others might come to know him, our glorious Savior. And we ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.